0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Gareth, uh, and I have the incredible privilege of serving on the team that leads Common Ground Durbanville, along with Craig and Heather and Anthony and Shan, uh, and some other brilliant men and women. Um, Anthony just whispered in my ear that I need to please make sure to mention that in the moment, it's old age Anthony, Jess's name suddenly slipped from his mind, uh, and so she's very much in our prayers as well as part of the Locke family. Um, And also you stole what I wanted to say about the band, they did such a great job. But um, something else I just wanna quickly draw your attention to, Uh, you would've seen in the video announcements that there's a holiday club um, for primary school kids that's happening. Uh, It's hosted by D4J, which is a a whole bunch of the churches in the Durbanville area, us included, that partnered together. Um, And we have eight teenagers that are gonna be serving there every day this coming week, um, hosting uh, primary school kids, playing games with them, sharing the gospel with them. Uh, And so well done to you guys, those of you that are in the room, parents uh, for making sure that the kids get there. They were there all day yesterday, um, training and setting up and decorating. Uh, And so it's really just a privilege (coughs) to be part of that. This morning we are talking about faith. We are talking about standing in faith. And if you think about faith, maybe it's a new concept to you. Maybe you're unsure what faith is. Maybe you're unsure what you are supposed to place your faith in. Uh, Maybe you're unsure about what happens when you have questions and doubts and how that relates to faith. Uh, And to see some of the answers to those questions, we're going to go this morning to the original man of faith. The first person in Scripture of whom it was said he believed God. We read that uh, Enoch and Noah walked faithfully with God. Uh, But that's actually more a word that speaks about the closeness of their relationship. It's not actually related to the concept of believing or having faith. Now, I'm not saying they didn't have faith in God. Obviously, they did if they were walking with him. But when we want to have an example of faith, an ideal place to turn is to the original man of faith, Abram. And So, excuse me, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to read Scripture, and we're going to dive right in. Dear Heavenly Father, won't you help us this morning to grow in faith? Whatever that means for each one of us, if we currently have zero faith, if we have a, a mustard seed of faith, a tiny little grain, if our faith is strong, wherever we are on the journey of faith, I want to ask this morning that you would grow our faith and trust in you and your promises. Won't you come by your Holy Spirit? raise Jesus up in our understanding and in our hearts and in our affections so that we can walk faithfully before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 15. After these things... We'll quickly stop right there because that raises a question, I'm sure, after what things. Uh, basically, what has happened is we're in the Middle East. Uh, we're several thousand years ago, nomadic tribesmen, basically. Uh, and so we're told that uh, several kings, or we might think of them more as tribal chieftains because their land wasn't that big, went to war. Uh, and Abram's nephew Lot got captured as part of these raids. And so he, he takes his 318 trained fighting men, he pursues them, he rescues his nephew Lot, Uh, on his way back to his campsite, he meets this character called Melchizedek, uh, who's a priest of God and a king, uh, and so he offers a sacrifice to God with this priest and gives him a tithe. And after those things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring. And so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven. And count the stars, if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he, Abram, believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer, three years old, that's a cow, for those of you who aren't agricultural, Uh, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He brought him all these and cut them in two, laying each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and a deep and terrifying darkness descended upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, "'Know this for certain, that your offspring shall be aliens in a land that is not theirs, and shall be slaves there, and they shall be oppressed for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions.'" As for yourself, you shall go to your ancestors in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for so the, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying... To your descendants, I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenazites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So God comes to Abram with this incredible promise, do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your very great reward. And what we're going to see from this chapter this morning is that Abraham must receive what, by faith what God has paid for. Abraham must receive by faith what God has paid for. Each one of us must receive by faith what God has paid for. Now, immediately the story takes what we might think a bit of a strange turn. God promises to be Abraham's or to give him great reward and all of a sudden, Abram starts talking about descendants and children, and, and then we're talking about land, and it, it might not make a lot of sense to you. What's that got to do with God being his great reward? We might think of treasure as a great reward. That's, what's that got to do with children and land? But if we go back to where God first called Abram from Ur of the Chaldeans, from modern-day Iran, he said to him, "'Go to the place that I'm going to show you. I will make your name great, and I'm going to bless you, and through your descendants, all of the earth will be blessed.'" That's the reward that God has promised to Abram. And then when he gets to the land, modern-day Palestine and Israel, he says, "'I'm giving all of this land to you and your descendants.'" So now when God comes to Abram and says, I have a great reward for you, Abram goes, wait a second, you promised me descendants, I'm almost a hundred years old, Um, what's the deal? What's the deal, God? And so that's why this conversation suddenly from great reward turns to descendants and turns to land, because that's the context, that's what God has promised to Abram. The first thing we see in this passage is that you must receive the promise by faith. You must receive the promise by faith. Look at what happens. God comes to Abram says, I have this great reward for you. Do not be afraid. I am your shield. Abram says, "Um, God, wait a second. Excuse me. I have no children. This servant that was born in my house is going to inherit everything. My family line is going to discontinue. God says, No, that's not going to happen. Someone from your own loins, your own offspring, will inherit from you. And then God takes him outside and he says, Look up to the heavens and count the stars. Notice what God is doing. God is not giving him a plan, he's not giving him a process, he's not giving him a strategy. What God is doing is reiterating the promise. He's promised that through Abram, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Um, God, problem, I have no descendants. Come outside and God reaffirms the promise. There's no process, there's no plan, there's no strategy. Abram, in exactly nine months and 27 days, your child will be born. Abram, here's the steps that you need to take. Here's the herbal concoction. Your wife needs to drink because she's old. There's nothing like that. God repeats the promise. And we read these incredible words, Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Guys, God doesn't work in plans and strategies as far as we are concerned. God works in promises so that it can be by grace, is what Paul says in Romans chapter 4. I'm going to mention it numerous times because Romans 4 is basically an exposition of this chapter. Paul in Romans 4 says, it is by promise so that it can be by grace. It can be by what we don't deserve, really the opposite of what we deserve. Because if there's a plan, if there's a procedure, if there's a strategy, we are going to fail at it. And so it comes by the promise of God. And so you have to receive the promise by faith. You might be thinking to yourself, but Gareth, isn't the Old Testament all about law? I mean, you know, we've got the Ten Commandments repeated not once but twice in Exodus and Deuteronomy. We've got the whole book of Leviticus that's just law upon law. And when they get to the promised land, if they obey God's law, they stay in the land. And and if they disobey God's law, they're going to leave the land. Isn't the Old Testament actually about law? No, Paul says in Romans 4. He points out all of this is taking place before the law is given. All of this is taking place even before the covenant sign of circumcision. It's always been about faith and it will always be about faith in the promises of God. Whatever your circumstances, wherever you find yourself, you have to receive the promise by faith. Secondly, you have to receive despite your doubts and your questions It's so interesting. If I was writing this passage, the way I would have written it was, God comes and says to Abram, don't be afraid, I'm your shield, your reward shall be very great. And then Abram has one question and God takes him outside and he sees the stars and he believes God and is credited as righteousness and from there his faith just goes from strength to strength and he never doubts the promises of God ever again because now his faith has been credited to him as righteousness. Isn't that a great story? I put it to you, that story would actually be a very difficult story. Because I don't know about you, but that's not my experience. My experience is not, I believe God and it is credited as righteousness. And then it just goes from strength to strength. And there's just this always upward trajectory of faith that never doubts and never questions. No, immediately after it is credited to him as righteousness. And God says, by the way, the land, he goes, "Um, God, how do I know? How do I know, God? This doesn't make any sense. I don't see it. I'm just one family. There's all these tribes in the land. I I, I don't see it, God. And I love that. Because what it says is, if the father of faith can have faith in the midst of questions and confusion, then we can have faith in the midst of questions and confusion. Paul says we we see through a glass dimly. It's like a foggy mirror. Maybe you were showering this morning and you were trying to do your makeup, ladies, or fix your beard, gentlemen, uh, in the mirror, and it's foggy and you can't quite see clearly. Paul says that's what our life is like. We don't always clearly see the purposes and the plans and the promises of God, but in the midst of questions and confusion and doubt, you can have faith. That's what we see with Abram. I have no idea how God is working all things together for my good. I know he's called me and I know I love him and there's this promise in scripture and I don't have a clue how that can be true in these current circumstances. You can believe despite your doubts. God, you said you'll never leave me nor forsake me. I don't sense your presence right now. You can receive You can have faith despite your doubts, despite your questions. But yes, the most important thing, look at what Abram does with his questions and look what he does with his doubts. He brings them to God. God, how do I know that this is gonna come to pass? If you take your doubts to doubters and you take your questions to questioners in the world that don't know Jesus, you will shipwreck yourself. Because they don't have answers. I mean, I don't think I have to really make an argument that the world doesn't have answers, do I? It's pretty clear the world doesn't have answers. And so if you take your questions to questioners who don't have faith, and you take your doubts to doubters who don't have faith, they will pull you down with them. What you do with your questions and what you do with your doubts and what you do with your uncertainties is what Abraham does. Abram, at this point, becoming Abraham is he brings them to God. There is a kind of faith that involves taking your questions to the only one who has answers. It's a kind of faith. There's a kind of faith that involves speaking your doubt to God, because in speaking your doubt to him, you are acknowledging that he is the one who has the answers. Don't internalize it and don't take it to the world. Bring it to God as an act of faith because he is the one that knows what he is doing. He is the one who is fulfilling everything. A man came to Jesus and said, will you heal my son? Jesus said, yes, I can do it if you just believe. And he said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Sometimes that's where we are. That's where where Abram is in this moment, from this incredible height. Believe God, credited to him as righteousness. So significant that whenever the New Testament wants to talk about faith, this is the passage that they reference. At least four different occasions in the New Testament, this passage is referenced. Not just Romans 4. And yet from this incredible height, suddenly this dip of questions, just like us it doesn't take away the fact that he's been credited as righteousness his faith is credited as righteousness and because he's bringing his questions and his concerns to god it's not like well one minute his righteousness is there and the next minute his righteousness is gone no he's believed god he's believed the promises of god it's realized in his life and it's the same for you and for me thirdly we can we see That he receives what God has paid the price for. He receives what God has paid the price for. Again, if I was writing this story, the climax of the story would have been he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. I mean, what can be greater than, than that? Than placing faith in the promises of God. And yet the story continues and the tension keeps ratcheting up. Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Um, God, what about the fact that I have no children? Come look at the stars. Believe God credited his righteousness and the land. God, I'm not sure how you're going to do that. Fetch the cow. Okay. Um, Interesting response. Interesting response. Abram apparently knows what God is talking about because God just says fetch these animals and and, and then he proceeds to kill them and, and spread out the pieces. And so clearly Abram knows what God is intending when he says fetch the heifer, fetch the cow. We don't because we don't live in that culture. Fortunately for us, we can read in Jeremiah 34 some more detail of what is happening here. In Jeremiah 34, we see the same thing happening with animals It's not related to Abram and what's happening here, other than it tells us what this cutting up of the animals is all about. So I'm going to take a quick detour and explain to you what's happening in Jeremiah 34, simply so that we can understand the significance of God saying, fetch the cow. Here's what happens in Jeremiah 34. King Hezekiah is king over Israel. This is hundreds of years later. And he's reading God's law, and he sees in God's law that the people of Israel are not to make... God's people, they're slaves, and they have slaves. And so he calls the nobles, he calls the rich, he calls the officials, he says, guys, we're not supposed to have slaves. We're gonna stop this. We're gonna covenant together before God that we're no longer gonna have slaves. And they make this covenant. And then they let the slaves go, and then they go, oh my goodness, life is hard without slaves. We we need these slaves back. They were doing all the work for us. And so they re-enslave God's people. And the word of God comes through the prophet Jeremiah. And he says, God says, through Jeremiah, to these officials and these rich people, you declared freedom for the slaves, so now I declare freedom for you, freedom to die by the sword and the pestilence and famine, and you might be sitting there going, well, that sounds really harsh from God. No, no, that's not harsh. What is harsh is letting slaves go, making a promise to God that you will give people their freedom and then re-enslaving them. That is harsh. God's response is justice. And then Jeremiah says to these nobles and these rich people, what was represented by you walking through the pieces of the animals that you cut up as part of this covenant ceremony You walk between the pieces of the animals. Now that is going to happen to you and you will become food for wild animals. It's quite intense symbolism, isn't it? You see, this is a covenant ceremony where a people agrees to obey the king and the king will provide for them and makes promises to them and you walk between the pieces of the animal symbolizing that if you don't keep up your obligations before the king, what happened to these animals is what will happen to you. And so Abraham believes God and it is credited to him as righteousness and he asks another question and God says, fetch the cow. And Abram knows he's got to cut it up. And a deep and terrifying darkness comes over Abram as he falls asleep. See, Abram knows, because he's just like you and me. He knows that he doesn't live up in his own life to the expectations of how he expects other people to treat him, just like we know we don't. He knows that he doesn't live up to his own expectations for himself, And before you argue, as a light-hearted counter-argument, I'll just present to you your New Year's resolutions that you've long forgotten about. But we know it's a lot more serious than that. If he can't live up in his own life to the expectations of how people should treat him and his own expectations for himself, how can he live up to the expectations of an all-powerful, all-holy, king, creator, God of the universe? a deep and terrifying darkness comes over him because he's accepted these promises, but it seems like there is still a price that has to be paid. And he knows that he's gonna end up paying that price because he knows there is no way that he can walk faithfully before God. Just like we know that we can't walk faithfully before God. And in one of the most beautiful pictures of the gospel, while Abram sleeps, the presence of God passes between those animals. Righteousness comes by faith, but to be right with God, to be in relationship, this thing called covenant with God, there are obligations that are imposed upon us by the holy king of the universe, and the incredible reality is as God said to Abram, I take the covenant curse upon myself. When you are disobedient, I will pay the price. That's the incredible reality of the gospel. That's the incredible reality of what Jesus has done for us. Abram believes the promise of God. But even in believing and having accredited as righteousness, there is a price that has to be paid for not living up to God's standard. Paul writes in Romans 4, Therefore his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness, Now, the words it was reckoned to him were written not for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was handed over to death for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. Justification, the process by which we are made righteous with God and stand with Abram, righteous before God. You must receive by faith what God has paid the price for. You might be saying, well, what what am I receiving? Abram was receiving descendants. He was receiving land. What am I receiving when I receive the promises of God? You're receiving justification, being made right with God. All of the obligations that you have before God, because forget living up to God's standard, you don't even live up to your own standard. All of the obligations that that imposes before you, because you don't live holy before the King of the universe, you're receiving righteousness, you're receiving justification, forgiveness for your sins. You're receiving being brought back as a slave to sin. You're receiving new life, life that will continue into eternity with God the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And all of those here who've placed their faith in Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit to come as a helper alongside of you and you cries out with your spirit, Abba, Father, you, you receive adoption into God's family and knowing him as your father. You must receive by faith what God has paid the price for. Wherever you are on your faith journey, maybe you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you must receive by faith. There's an obligation you have before God And Jesus has paid the price. Abram was looking forward to the promise that this price would be paid. The price has already been paid by Jesus. We get to celebrate that. We get to delight in that. We get to live in the fruit of that in a way that Abram couldn't comprehend. You must receive by faith what God has paid the price for. If you are a follower of Jesus, you must go on receiving. Maybe because of difficulty, maybe because of circumstance. You've diverted away from the promises of God into your own plans and your own strategies and your own way of trying to make things happen. Heather said in our prayer meeting this morning, she she feels that we need to repent of where we haven't lived up to what God requires of us. What God requires of us, first and foremost, is faith. I wanna take seriously what she felt from God this morning by saying to you, maybe you need to repent of trying to do things in your own strength, of trying to go your own way. I don't know what that looks like, but if it's you, you know it's you right now. I don't have to describe it in detail. You know it's you. You know what, even the obligation of faith, when you fail it, even that obligation is covered by the blazing fire pot moving between the pieces and saying when you fail, when you don't cut it, at obeying the law, at responding in faith, I take upon myself that covenant curse, that judgment that should be yours, I take it upon myself do not you respond this morning? We're gonna take communion in a moment. As you take communion, it's an opportunity to respond and to say, God, I haven't been living by faith. I've been trying to do my own plans. I've been trying to do my own purposes. I've been trying to go my own way. I don't see how these promises are gonna come to pass. Hey, you're in good company. Abram was almost 100 years old. I forgot to read this just now but I wanted to read this. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was already good as dead, for he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Hello. Hello. <laughs> If you can't see how God is at work in your life, you're in good company with Abram (laughs) because he didn't have a clue how God was gonna do it. And if you read the next chapter, you see that he then did try to strategize and make his own plans and everything went completely pear-shaped. And yet, because it is by promise and because it is by grace, God's purposes and promises still came to fruition. And so I'm just gonna dig into this point a little bit. Because if you have been, just God, I don't know where you are. I don't know how this works. I'm just gonna go my own way. I'm gonna try to figure this out myself. The very next chapter, that is exactly what Abram does. I'm not gonna preach that chapter as well, don't worry. But that's exactly what Abram does. And it causes chaos and confusion and heartbreak and pain. And yet, despite that, God's promises still prevail. Despite that he is still righteous by faith. Despite that he is still able to inherit the promises of God. You must receive by faith what God has paid the price for. So we're going to go into a time of communion now. Man, you can come up. Communion, in case you're unaware, is an opportunity for those of us who do follow Jesus to remember his body broken for us on the cross, his blood shed for us. If you're not a follower of Jesus, my recommendation to you would be to just stay in your seat as people come forward and and take the elements of communion. Not that you are excluded because we want to be exclusionary. I just don't think it would make sense for you to partake in the the symbolism of the heart of following Jesus. If you're not following Jesus, I, I just don't think it would make sense. But if you do wanna place your faith in Jesus for the very first time, then I would invite you to partake with us. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, to the extent that you're feeling conviction this morning for moving away from faith and to try to strive for things in your own strength, there's an opportunity just to Remember, it's all about the price that has been paid. The climax is not just faith. The climax is the price that has been paid, that makes faith possible, that makes the outcome of the promise possible because it is by God's grace. It's stand up. Jesus, we stand in awe of you. We stand in awe of your plan of salvation, Father God. That you would send your son in our place to die for us. To take all of the obligations. To take all of the curse that should rightfully be upon us. To yourself, just as you promised Abram. You are faithful, God, when you promised thousands of years later, we know you brought to fulfillment. You did exactly what you said you would do when you passed between those pieces of animal. You took Abram's failures, you took Israel's failures, you took our failures. And made it possible for it to be by the promise. By faith we are declared righteous. And I just declare to you this morning, if you have placed your faith in Jesus and you've been struggling with doubt and you've been struggling with uncertainty and you've been struggling with questions, you are declared righteous. Don't let the enemy come and try to steal that reality from you. It is an objective reality, the price for which has been paid at the cross. So whatever doubts, whatever questions you are facing, you are declared righteous. God declares it over you this morning, as it was declared over Abram. And so now we come rejoicing and confessing both are true at the same time. It is a joy to confess because the price has been paid. In our confession, we receive joy because we know that we are forgiven and with you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.